Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Almighty God, our gracious Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you that you have come to be with us. We thank and praise you that in the Lord Jesus we have access to you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help us this morning to understand your word, to understand more of what it means to be with you and to come to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you notice uh, what we just sang? I mean, all the men and women going left, right and centre, you can lose the words a little bit. We just sang, Bold I approach the eternal throne. What do you think about that? The idea of boldly approaching God. Uh, Maybe you think it's uh, unimaginable, impossible to approach the holy God of the universe. Maybe you think that there is no way that someone like you could approach God. Maybe you think that it would be insufferably arrogant for anyone else to think that they could approach God. Maybe you think it's impossible. Or maybe uh, maybe you think it's irrelevant. Who cares whether we approach God or not? It doesn't make any difference to anything. Maybe you think it's irrelevant. Or or maybe you think it's, uh, it's no big deal approaching God. Whoopee. Whoopee. Anybody can approach God. Um, it's, uh, it, it's axiomatic. God's going to accept anybody. Show up in the garden and you'll be approaching God. What's this stuff about approaching God? First, is it possible? Is it possible that people like us could approach God? Second, if it's possible, is it... Is it relevant? Is it important? Why should we approach God? What difference does it make? And then thirdly, if it's possible and it's important, then how can we do it? Can we do it any way we want? Just rock up in God's presence? I think Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48 can really help us to answer these these very important questions. At the time of Ezekiel chapter 40, Israel are in exile. They are away from the promised land, away from God. The city of Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, the place where the Jews could approach God, they're destroyed, flattened. Israel have no access to God, but in chapters 40 to 48, God gives Ezekiel a vision. One final vision, a vision of God being back with his people again, a vision of his people once again being able to approach him. Ezekiel is taken in his vision on a guided tour of Jerusalem. Those of you who were here for chapters 8 to 11 will remember he had a a guided angelic tour back then and he he saw all the the terrible things that were going on in Jerusalem. Well, well now we get another tour of of the city, only this time it's renewed. Let's pick it up in chapter 40 and verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 1. If you can't find the page number, somebody is about to tell you what the small print... 616 in the small print and the large print, 1351, 616 or 1351, Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 1. Thank you to those who called out. In the 25th year of our exile, so it's 20 years since the book began, 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, on the 14th year after the fall of the city of Jerusalem, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he took me there. 
In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. Ezekiel is introduced to his angelic guide and the guide shows him a new temple. Now, the first thing to notice about this temple is how big the walls are. For some reason, the, um, the translators don't translate cubits for us. Um, so we, we don't get the, the measurement in metres or feet or something. But, but these walls, they are three metres high and three metres thick. I'm, I'm probably fairly close to three metres, but it, it, it's, um, <laughs> it's something about that high and very, very... Th- it's like the Great Wall of China or something. You, you're not going to get any rabbits in this temple, all right? <laughs> Verse 5. Verse 5, let's have a look at these walls. I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The length of the measuring rod in the man's hand was six long cubits, each of which was a cubit and a handbreadth. In other words, uh, it's about half a metre, so... Um, six is three metres. He measured the wall. It was one measuring rod thick and one rod high. That's the walls. Next, Ezekiel is shown the gates. And again, they are, they are massive, imposing things. Um, it, it works out they're something like 12 and a half metres wide. They're 25 metres deep. And just to get up to the gates, you've got to climb seven steps. Uh, each, room, each, uh, each gate has six rooms in it for guards. Uh, just a little bit of it, verse 13. Verse 13, he measured the gateway from the top of the rear wall of one alcove to the top of the opposite one. Distance was 25 cubits from one parapet opening to the opposite one. Measured along the faces of the projecting walls all around the inside of the gate, 60 cubits going around. The measurement was up to the portico facing the courtyard. Distance from the entrance of the gateway to the far end of its portico was 50 cubits, 25 metres. Massive gates. You look at this temple, it's like a fortress. Enormous walls, enormous gates. And the point that I think this vision is making is this. It's no light matter to approach God. It's no light matter to have God living near you in a temple. It's not like having relatives over to stay in the guest room or something like that. It's It's more like living next to a nuclear reactor. You need very thick walls you need strong gates because there is great danger inside god can be extremely dangerous to live near now, in the next couple of chapters we get all sorts of other measurements for the temple uh, then in chapter 43 we see the opposite of what we saw in chapters 8 to 11 you remember chapters 8 to 11 we saw the glory of god departing from the temple making way for it to be destroyed. Well, now we see the glory of God coming back again. This time, this time though, God says he's here to stay. Chapter 43, chapter 43 and verse 1. 43.1 Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east, His voice was like the roar of rushing waters and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he he came to destroy the city, chapters 8 to 11, and like the visions I'd seen by the Kabar River, chapters 1 to 3, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple and he said, Son of man, 
This is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. God's planning on hanging around this time, on hanging around with his people forever. And so he says, he says they better get their act together. They better not be like they were before. They better start living his way if they're going to be near him. Continuing in verse 7, this is where I'll live among the Israelites forever. The house of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their prostitution and the lifeless idols of their kings at their high places. When they place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices, so I destroyed them in my anger. Now, let them put away from me their prostitution and the lifeless idols of their kings, and I will live among them forever. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. You want God with you? You've got to live his way. And then in the rest of the chapter, we're told all about the kinds of sacrifices that Israel need to offer. There are burnt offerings and sin offerings. The idea is that they make atonement for the people. That is, God forgives them and accepts them through the blood sacrifices. And by being forgiven and accepted, they then can approach God without being destroyed. So again, can you see... It's not a light matter to approach God. Not, not if you're a sinner. If you're going to approach God, you need, you need to stop living your way. You need to turn away from sin and you need to have that sin dealt with by sacrifice. Not a light matter to approach God. Now, chapter 44, we see it again. We see again... The glory of God filling the temple in chapter 44. And Israel is told, you've got to be very, very careful about who can come into this temple, about, about who can approach God. Now, in the past, God says that they were slack. They let anyone come in, even, even people who weren't God's people. But it's got to stop. Now, pick it up with me, chapter 44 and verse 4. Chapter 44 and verse 4. Then the man brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked and saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord and I fell face down. The Lord said to me, Son of man, look carefully, listen closely and give attention to everything I tell you concerning all the regulations regarding the temple of the Lord. Give attention to the entrance of the temple and all the exits of the sanctuary. Say to the rebellious house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, enough of your detestable practices, O house of Israel. In addition to all your other detestable practices, you brought foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, into my sanctuary, desecrating my temple, while you offered me food, fat and blood, and you broke my covenant. Instead of carrying out your duty in regard to my holy things, you put others in charge of my sanctuary. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, is to enter my sanctuary, not even the foreigners who live among the Israelites. No foreigners allowed. No, no one who's not God's person can come near. And then in the next verses we're told that even the Levites, even, even the most holy tribe in Israel can no longer come into God's presence. Only priests can approach 
Only that, that, that one special family can approach. That's in verse 16, only priests. And there, then the rest of chapter 44 is all about the kinds of rules that the priests have to follow to come into God's presence. They have to wear certain clothes, linen clothes. They have to cut their hair a certain way. They can't drink wine. They have to be careful who they marry. They can't eat certain foods. They have to, they have to obey and teach God's laws. And then even with all these rules, every time they come into God's practice, they still have to kill an animal. They still have to have a sacrifice for their sin. That's chapter 44, verse 27. 44, 27. On the day he goes, this is the priest, goes into the inner court of the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he is to offer a sin offering for himself, declares the sovereign Lord. Okay, can you see clearly what God is saying here? He is saying, it is no light matter to approach me. This is not something that just anybody can do. You can't just rock up into my presence, says God. Again, I think the illustration of a nuclear reactor is helpful. Only authorised personnel should be showing up in this nuclear reactor. And only when they've taken all the necessary precautions. Uh, Chapter 45 talks about the prince, how he mustn't exploit the people. And then it goes on through to chapter 46 to talk about all the festivals that Israel need to keep and all of them again have got sacrifices for atonement. But then in chapter 47 we come to a different picture. We've had all this stuff about how, how dangerous it is to be near God's presence but then chapter 47 kind of opens up the, the significance of it all, how important it all is. We get a picture of how fantastic it'll be for Israel to have God with them. Chapter 47, Ezekiel sees a vision of a river of life coming from the temple. And wherever this river goes, it brings life and blessing. Um, It it was read to us before, but let's look again at the last part from verse 9. Chapter 47 and verse 9. Look at the life that the river brings. 47.9, swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river, river flows. There'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglaim. There'll be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. It's no light matter to have God with you. It is dangerous. But then it, 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 it's, it's vital. It's, it's the most magnificent, most necessary thing you can imagine. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who gives everything worth having. Every breath that we take, every, every hair on our heads, every good thing we have, it comes from God. You don't have him, you don't have anything. You don't have life. It might be dangerous to have access to God, but, but boy, is it worth it. I'll go back to the nuclear reactor illustration. Plenty of danger. You want thick walls, you want only authorised personnel coming in, but, but it gives you the power that you need to run everything that you want. Uh, 
for the last chapter and a half, um, we picture the promised land. In the last chapter and a half, Israel, the, the, the land is divided up equally among the tribes. Uh, the, there's a place there for all of God's people again, and it is centred around the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And then Ezekiel finishes with a vision of the city of Jerusalem, but now it's got a new name. A new name. You can see it in chapter 48 and verse 35. Chapter 48 and verse 35. The name of the city from that time on will be The Lord is There. And, and so there it is, Ezekiel's final vision. Can you see the point of it? It's a vision of Israel being back in the promised land, a vision of God being there with them. Once again, God's people have access to, to, to God, to, to the river of life. They can approach God again. But did you notice what it's like? What it's like to have God with you? Uh, it is life itself, but you've got to beware. It, it, it's nuclear reactor stuff. You see that in those thick walls and the massive gates and, and, and the rules for sacrifice and who can and can't come in. Being with God, it is magnificent, but it is dangerous. You must come only on God's terms. Okay, interesting vision. Interesting vision. When does it all happen? When does Ezekiel's vision come true? What does it mean for us? Well, as we've seen now with all of the chapters from, verse, from chapter 34, there's a sense in which this vision is fulfilled in the history of Israel. 538 BC, Israel did come back to the land. 515 BC, they did rebuild and rededicate their temple. But uh, some of you may remember what happened. This is uh, from Ezra and Nehemiah, those who were here last year, a bit of a memory test. Um, was it the year before? It's my memory. Um, do you remember what happened when they rebuilt the temple? Holy people cried. You remember what they were crying about? Some of them were crying with joy, but some of them were crying with just, um, just the idea that it was so pathetic. It was like a cardboard and string copy. It wasn't even as good as the original temple, let alone as good as this one that Ezekiel had promised. Herod has a go at, uh, at a bit of uh, renovation rescue later on, a couple of centuries later, but it's still never anything like what, uh, what Ezekiel says. And then 70 AD, the Romans come and they smash and destroy the temple. Once and for all, never been rebuilt. You show up to the temple site now and you'll find a mosque. What Ezekiel says, it can't be fulfilled in the history of Israel. So where is it fulfilled? Where is it fulfilled? Where is it that God is with his people? Where, how is it that God can be approached by his people? Where, where are these sacrifices? Where is this place where God dwells with his people? Well, as Christians, we believe that the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, the Apostle John talks about uh, the word became flesh, God became flesh, and... Uh, English translation, he dwelled among us, but a more literal translation, he tabernacled among us, he, he templed among us. Or um, you remember uh, what the angel said that Jesus would be called when he was born. He will be called Emmanuel, which means 
God with us. Or remember when uh, some people were challenging Jesus and he said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Remember what he was talking about? He was talking about his body. Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is the one who is God with us. And then Jesus talked about how he would offer the once for all perfect sacrifice for our sin so that we would be able to be with God. That's what he was doing on the cross, offering the sacrifice of atonement. And Jesus rose again from the dead. He poured out his spirit and he said, anyone who trusts in me, rivers of life will come out from his heart. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on his people and now the Apostle Paul says that we actually ourselves become the temple of the living God, a place where God dwells by his Spirit. And he says that's not just for Jews anymore, that is now for anybody who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. The wall is broken down, the temple is torn and we become a temple in which God lives by his Spirit. It's not the building, it's you and me. God is alive in us by his Spirit now. Here's where Ezekiel 40 to 48 is fulfilled, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this is not the end of the fulfillment, is it? Because the day is coming when we will see God face to face, when we will be in the ultimate promised land, the new heaven and the new earth, and where that that river of life will come from God himself to us. I think I put there on your outline um, from the book of Revelation. Notice there the allusions to Ezekiel. It was read to us before, but have a look again from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's the Lord Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. That's what this tree is. Go back to Genesis. The tree of life, this is the the tree that gives you eternal life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, not just the Jews, for all of us. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they'll reign forever and ever. These promises in Ezekiel 40 to 48, they are kept in Jesus and they'll be fully and finally kept when Jesus comes back and brings us to the new heaven and the new earth. Okay. Okay, well, let's come back then to the questions that we started with. Do you remember what they were? Um, Is it possible to approach God? Is it important to approach God? Can anybody approach God? Has Ezekiel 40 to 48 helped us to answer those questions? I think it has. Let's have a look at them one by one. First, is it possible to approach God? Answer, yes, it is. This vision of Ezekiel 40 to 48 has come true in Jesus. Jesus has done all that it takes for us to be able to approach God. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to ask you to to turn with me in your Bible, please to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. We're going to stay in Hebrews now, so don't don't come back again, just stay now in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verse 19. 851 in the small print, 1874 in the large print. 851 or 1874 if it's a large print Bible. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. 
have a look here because now that we've done Ezekiel, you'll, you'll never be able to read the New Testament the same way again because the New Testament is chock full of Ezekiel. Um, just have a look at a few Ezekiel references here. But notice also what it's talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, right, that's talking about the most holy place in the temple. How can we enter it? By what sacrifice? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, the Lord Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You can hear Ezekiel 36 there. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Can you see it there? Yes, we can approach God boldly, like we sang, in full assurance of faith. All right, what about our second question then? Uh, is it important to approach God? Well, I hope Ezekiel's made that clear. God is the giver of life itself. Access to God, it is access to the river of life. The only life worth living now the only life that will endure to eternity. Look, look, can I say to you, if you are here today and you are a person who does not have access to God, you've got to hear what this is saying to you. If you cannot approach God, you don't have anything worth having. You can have everything in the world, but if you don't have access to the river of life, You've got nothing worth having. You're a dead person walking. As Jesus says, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? We desperately need to approach God to, to have this river of life. It is possible to approach God. It is vital that we approach God. But thirdly, it is not something to take lightly. We must not try to approach God any way we want. We must never come to God on our own terms. Oh, we see that so very clearly pictured for us in Ezekiel 40 to 48. We are not dealing with fairy floss here. We're dealing with the God who makes a nuclear bomb look like a pop gun. You want to approach God? Then to use Ezekiel's language, you better make sure you've got some very, very thick walls. You better make sure that you are authorised personnel only. You better make sure that you have got the proper preparation, the proper sacrifice. You better make sure that you are well protected. And the New Testament says exactly the same sort of thing for those who try to come to God any other way than Jesus. We must come to God through Jesus alone. Cast your eye down, there are a few verses in Hebrews. You're still in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Come with me then to verse 26. Verse 26. We've just been told, draw near to God confidently. Great fun. Full assurance of faith. But now look at Hebrews 10.26. If we deliberately keep on sinning, and in context to keep on sinning here means to, to fall away from Jesus, to stop relying on Jesus. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment 
and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. You want to approach that God? Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, moving forward to Hebrews 12.28. 12.28 says, Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence, that is literally with fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We've got to realise what we're dealing with here. The God that we, that we sort of sing lightly, that we boldly approach him, this is nuclear reactor stuff. You do not want to just show up to this God any way that you want. You don't just rock up to this God the way you feel like. You come to this God any other way than through Jesus, and we're talking Chernobyl. We're talking Hiroshima. A consuming fire. A dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God Friends, friends this, is, this is great news for us. We can approach the river of life. We can approach the, the true God, the one God, the living God. We can have him with us. We, we can be in his presence. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's take the life that is offered. But let's never do it lightly. Let's do it with fear and trembling, knowing that it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I can approach God. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I can have this access unexploded. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can say, bold, I approach the eternal throne. Let's boldly approach, but let's only ever approach God through the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our almighty and magnificent and, and extraordinary God, God who is a consuming fire, God into whose hands it is a dreadful thing to fall. Our Father, we are sorry for the times that we take you lightly, that we think we can just rock up into your presence somehow deserving that you would, you would accept us. We are sorry for the, the pride that makes us think that you owe us anything. Our Father, you are the one who gives life and breath and everything worth having. We desperately need you. And so, Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you that in him you have come to us and offered the perfect sacrifice for sin and you give us your spirit and now welcome us into your presence. Our Father, please grant that we may trust and only trust in Jesus and trust only in Jesus. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we come boldly, we might do so uh, protected with his sacrifice in our hands. And we thank and praise you that through Jesus you offer us the, the river of the water of life and you offer us a future and a hope and an eternity in your presence serving you. Our Father, we thank and praise you for Jesus and we say again that we trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen.